Wednesday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Game day for the Toronto Raptors getting set for their final game of the unofficial first half of the season. They're well past the halfway point as they are 56 games into the season. Basically, there's only 22, 24, 26 games remaining for most teams around the association. And tonight in Minnesota, getting set for the Timberwolves, who are coming off a victory last night, playing on the home back-to-back as the T-Wolves roll in at 31 and 27. The Raptors at 31 and 25. And following an eight-game win streak, the Raptors have lost two in a row, so certainly looking to close out this, again, first half, quote-unquote, of the season. On a positive note, not rolling into the All-Star weekend, Jonesy, on the low of a three-game losing streak. And we will have the tip tonight, 8 o'clock Eastern, right here on Sportsnet 590. The fans, so again, a double dip of Smith and Jones. And uh, I think you said it yesterday, Jonesy, and it's true. This is, this is not your father's Timberwolves team. This is, this is a team that finally, it's taken a long time, but outside of a little blip, what, a few years ago, one season where they had one little blip, boom, they were in the playoffs with Jimmy Butler, and then boom, right back down to what the Timberwolves have been for a long time. But they look like a team that is certainly um, legit and on the rise. They're not a championship contender. I don't anticipate them making a ton of noise in the West, but they're good, and they're trying to be great. Well, let's give uh, some credit to, uh, to, to Chris Finch, who we didn't yep. even know. We, we, we never met in Toronto because he was in Tampa, and partway through Tampa, he, uh, you know, he took the job in Minnesota. They're up and down. Uh, they play with a lot of energy. I don't know if it's taken Anthony Edwards, kind of like Magic Johnson, to draw the, 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 the great play out of Kareem, although Kareem was great before, and I'm not making this comparison. But you, a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, he gets an effusive, effervescent young player around him that's kind of brash and doesn't know you're supposed to not say certain things in the NBA or not conduct yourself a certain way, like you know, ordering Uber Eats on the... In, on the uh, on the post-game podium and stuff like that. But it's <laughs> rejuvenated the Timberwolves. It has. So, um, you know, good good for them. And I, I, I think it's going to be a, especially with Toronto coming off, what, 90 points the other night, E? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I think it's going to be a high-scoring, up-and-down, back-and-forth affair. All so. right, Jonesy. You, you, you're set, are you setting the line early here or what? No, 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 no. I just, I just see what, I just see the way Minnesota plays, and they, they, they get it up and down, man. They, they really do. Um, you know, and look, Chris Finch was known as an offensive coach when he came to Toronto, so uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not surprised that they're, you know, they're kind of playing that way. And I look at the people that they have, so uh, I, uh, you know. Maybe the Raptors will take advantage of them. Like you said, second night, home back-to-back. Uh, Toronto coming off a clunker. Uh, maybe, this is, maybe this is time for Toronto to, to make some noise. Well, making some noise last week was both the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers. So we'll look back to last night, some of the games. We'll look ahead to tonight's game. Uh, for the Raptors and Timberwolves. And, of course, it's Alvin Williams Wednesday, so we'll have him coming up later on in the show as well. But, Jonesy, Ben Simmons and James Harden, the two centerpieces of that monster trade on deadline day last week, both spoke to the media in their respective cities in Philly and Brooklyn for the first time yesterday. Wanted to play a couple of those comments for the audience in case they missed it. 
there were some interesting things said. There was a whole lot of cliche and, and, and just the usual stuff that you would get. Hey, I'm happy to be here, et cetera, and all that stuff. But uh, a couple of comments we wanted to play for him. Let's, let's maybe start on the Philly side of things with James Harden. And ironic, I guess, is the best word I can come up with, the fact that this deal goes down. And, okay, we, we've seen a couple of the pieces involved in the trade play, but the two biggest pieces, Harden is now hurt, and he's missing all-star break, and Ben Simmons has yet to play. And as he kind of addressed yesterday, like he's getting there, but he's not quite ready yet. So neither one uh, yet having a chance to make an impact on their team. And as we talked a little bit about yesterday and, and, and even the day before, man, time's ticking here. As I said off the top of the show, 22, 24, 26 games remaining for most teams in the league. That's not a lot of whole, whole lot of time for two big-time superstar players to get onto their new clubs and learn the new systems and the and, and and the chemistry with new teammates, and then to make that type of an impact, it's going to be it's going to be tough. It's uh, to me, it's a positive problem, but it's going to be tough, right? Yeah, and and um, you know, I, I've said this before with people looking for, oh, let's make that deal at the trade deadline, and it'll it'll put us over the top. Uh, it's happened in since 1995 when the Raptors came in. It's happened like three times in NBA history that a team makes a tr- trade at the deadline and gets what people look at and go, oh, that's a, that's a good deal for them. That, you know, that makes them a content. It's happened three times that a team's won a championship. Clyde Drexler in 95, going to the Rockets, who had won in 94. Uh, by the way, when Michael was playing for the Birmingham Barons trying to hit a curveball. For all ye who don't think Michael is one of the greatest winners ever, he got six in a row. You, you think about how hard it is to win one championship, E. He won, and, and how difficult it is to go back-to-back. Back. He won three in a row. Twice. Right. Twice. Right. So anyway, 95, they get Drexler from Portland, and they were a good team. Uh, the Pistons with the Rashid Wallace deal. Uh, sorry, E, when they put the five-game gentleman sweep on your Lakers uh, in, <laughs> what was that, 2000. 2003, 2004, yep. I don't know, I'm old, yep. they all run together. And then the Toronto Raptors in 2019 when Marc Gasol strolled into Madison Square Garden and uh, they went on to a championship. So uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen often. And like you said, it's, it's a good problem to have trying to fit that together. But uh, I, everybody's still, you know, take, taking Brooklyn as the favorite. Uh, I I don't know. Maybe if Kevin Durant gets back healthy and Kyrie's there, and um, it, I mean they certainly have a shot. But the East is filled with landmines, my man. No doubt, no doubt. And you've got the Bulls with another victory last night, having won four in a row, now sitting tied with the Heat at 37 and 21, and they've got a chance to move into first place. Uh, before the All-Star break as well. But we'll jump back to that in a second. Uh, James Harden, Ben Simmons, the blockbuster deal. Again, both gentlemen speaking with the uh, respective media in the respective cities yesterday. Let's start with James Harden. Uh, I love the fact that he's talking about, and and, and I'm going to play this in a second for you. Lance is going to fire it up. But he says, Philly was my first choice. Dude, you weren't a free agent. (laughs) you You were on the Brooklyn Nets, and you wanted out of Houston, and you got to Brooklyn. I thought Brooklyn was your first choice. Well, apparently now, according to James Harden, Philly was my first choice. Originally, I wonder you know, when I was going through everything I was going through, uh, you know, in Houston, uh, Philly was my, you know, my first choice. Uh, it just didn't happen. So, um, you know, but just 
detailed. I don't really want to get into, you know, the, the Brooklyn situation. I just knew, you know, for a very long time this was a, a perfect fit. And obviously you got a, a, a big man, the best big man in the league in Joel. And then obviously the coaching, uh, just from top to bottom, it made sense. And um, I'm just happy and, and blessed that I'm here. And um, as Doc and, and everybody knows and everybody wants is, is to win and be the last team standing. So um, I'm excited for the opportunity. Interesting there that I guess he clarified right off the top, Jonesy, that Philadelphia was my first choice originally, and it wasn't Brooklyn. So now I'm finally where I wanted to be. That's how you win the news conference, isn't it? I guess. <laughs> you, say, you say the right things. That's how you win the news conference. So um, good for James Harden. He's where he wants to be. So let's see if he performs. That's the big thing. Let's see if he performs. Well, um, you know, I'm always looking for a nice little segue, Jonesy. Talk about performing. A guy who hasn't performed a whole lot this year because he hasn't had the opportunity to because he's unvaxxed and unable to play in his own city, Kyrie Irving. He has kind of been linked to, you know, all that is um, seemingly wrong with the Nets or some of their struggles and did his status, his situation at all impact James Harden wanting to leave Brooklyn? Honestly, like, obviously, Kai, me and Kai are, are, are really good friends. Uh, you know, whatever he was going through or is still going through, that's his personal preference. Uh, but it definitely did impact the team because originally, you know, obviously me, Kyrie, and Katie on the court, you know, and winning covers up a lot of that stuff. But um, it was unfortunate that, you know, we played 16 games out of whatever it was, and, you know, it is what it is. But um, this is, you know, here in Philly is an opportunity uh, that I'm looking forward to. It is pretty crazy to look back, Jonesy, and, and it wasn't quite two full years, but spanning over two seasons, 16 games total that the three of those guys played together, Kyrie, KD, and James Harden. Only 16 games. That's that's bonkers. And and they had a decent record in those 16 games. Yeah. <laughs> the, the problem is they could never, as you said, they could never get on the court together. Um, and that's... You know, everybody looks at stuff on paper, and paper's great, but got to tell you, man, you play the games on the court, and and for all the, for all the, you know, chatter about, oh, look at who they have, and look at the lineup, uh, building chemistry and doing things on the floor is a totally different story. It really, yeah. really is. Well, and here's the other thing too, the the the, I don't know the. The narrative, the, the the conversation that we're having right now, in regards to only sixteen games, flip it, Jonesy. What was I talking about yesterday? Trying to be realistic and 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 not optimistic or pessimistic. Trying to trying to just see the glass, not half full or or half empty. I'm just seeing the glass. Can you imagine what the storyline would be or the narrative would be if they had only played sixteen games together? Now let's do the math and add on eh, minimum four more. Let's call it six just to be safe, and then maybe mm, another five or six. So let's call it. Let's call it 25 when the dust settles. 25 still wouldn't be a big number, right? Like 25 games together? Okay, so here's my point. They were a toe, a toenail, a sliver away from beating Milwaukee and advancing. Now, I don't know that they would have won the championship, but KD hits that shot, and the toe was barely, barely, barely on slash over the line. And if that toe, that toenail is just back a little bit, Brooklyn moves on. 
And we could be sitting here talking about the Brooklyn Nets as the champs, and yet yep. they only had those dudes play together for 25-odd games. That would be even crazier to think. And, would, and how much would that have changed things? Would, would James Harden still want out, or would he still be there? It's crazy to think how that, that, that toe, that shot, might have changed the course of the last you know, year plus. Well, I'll, g- I'll go you one further on the other side. All right. Does Mike does Mike Budenholzer still have a job if that toe is behind the line? Mm, yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know, that's, that's a good point. That's the other thing that people were saying. I mean, we heard uh, during the playoffs people calling uh, the Bucks one of the, and not me from, this is not my words, but from uh, NBA pundits and analysts, oh, they're one of the dumbest teams out there. Well, it, you know, they... They certainly resurrected themselves and went all the way to the championship. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that toe, as you put it, E, that little bit behind the line just makes a, a huge difference. And it's like people say about the Raptors. If it's not a four-bouncer, what happens in Toronto in 2019? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it goes to overtime and who knows, right? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. And then, I mean that's and that's why we have these conversations all the time too about about injuries and whatnot. Like and and hey, Kevin Durant being out of the lineup did that help? Sure. Clay Thompson being out of the lineup did that help? Sure. But it certainly helped uh, Golden State when they didn't have to face uh, Kevin Love or Kyrie Irving or whatever. I mean it, it, we've t- discussed this a million times in the past. Injuries happen, fluky shots happen, toes over lines happen. Lob passes from out of bounds going over seven foot five players happen. Like things happen. You expect the unexpected, and that's why, and I know I'm stealing your line, Jonesy. It's why we love sports because it's the ultimate reality TV. You never know what's going to happen. And, and, and it, I know it totally sounds cliche, but it's why you can't sit here, any of us, you, me, or anybody, on, on February 16th saying, you know, well, Minnesota won't win the championship, or Toronto's got no chance, or, or even what you were saying earlier, even though they're the favorites, it doesn't look great for Brooklyn. Who knows, right? Who knows? Because any number of a million things can happen between now and the middle of June when the champ is crowned. So, you know, that, that's that's why we love to watch. Look at look what we just saw on Sunday where in the Super Bowl. You know, you lose OBJ, who already had a touchdown in the game. And, and Cincinnati's getting the ball back with a couple minutes left. You, you never know what's going to ultimately go down, right? Like, heck, what happened to my Bills just a few weeks ago? You never know what's going to happen in pro sports, and that's why we love watching. Or, I mean, I say we. I'm assuming I'm speaking to the collective we, because if you're, if you're not a sports fan, you're probably not listening to the station right now, right? So right, exactly. That's why we love this. That's exactly. why we love this. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. No, no, I just I just saying it's there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it, and people who – Oh, I'm not a sports fan. Oh, I'm not. I'm not a baseball fan, or I'm not a basketball fan, or, or are you going to watch the horse race? Like, no. And that's. I mean, I guess that's how we got here as kids. Probably whatever the sporting event was on, we were into it. And uh, your mom and dad and your buddies probably take some credit for that too, uh, as they do in my household. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, actually, quickly before I go back to to uh, the Ben Simmons side of this trade, Jonesy. Speaking of uh, the Super Bowl, I just saw it come across from Adam Schefter. Bengals head coach Zach Taylor said that uh, quarterback Joe Burrow suffered and played through a sprained MCL in the Super Bowl on Sunday. So, um, 
just passing along that information. All right, back to the NBA, back to the trade. We just heard from James Harden from a Philly perspective. What about Brooklyn? Yes, they acquired uh, Andre Drummond and Seth Curry as well, but Ben Simmons being the central piece of that deal, and he addressed what happened with the 76ers. For me, it was just making sure mentally I was right to get out there and play again. So that's something I've been, you know, dealing with. Um, and it wasn't about the fans or coaches or comments made by anybody. It was just a personal thing for me. Um, that was earlier than, you know, that that's, that series or, or even that season that I was dealing with. Um, you know, and that organization knew that. So it, it was something that, you know, I, I continue to deal with. And, you know, I'm getting there and getting to the right place to, you know, get back on the floor just to trade, you know, it was, it was a bunch of things that I was dealing with as a person in my personal life that I don't really want to go into depth to depth with, but yeah, I'm here now. So, you know, it's a blessing to be, you know, uh, in an organization like this and, you know, I'm just looking forward to getting back on the floor and, and building something great here. I want to put a pin in that for a second, Jonesy, because I want to circle back to that. Let's play one more from Ben Simmons, uh, you know, looking ahead to the opportunity of playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I think it's going to be scary um, having those guys running alongside me. Um, there's, you know, multiple different weapons on the floor. And I think at the pace we want to play at, it's, it's just going to be unreal. So let me jump back to that first clip for a second here, Jonesy. And, and, and folks, this isn't like we, we don't rehearse what we're going to say, so Jonesy has no idea what I'm about to throw at him. So this is just a real-time conversation between two guys, and it just happens to be live on the radio because I think this is an important conversation, Jonesy, and, and, and I want to read it word for word because it kind of articulated what's in my mind. I don't know how you stand on the issue, and I know you have a, a sports science background as well and, and, and going back to your uh, you know university days and whatnot, so you might have a greater insight to this than, than even me, plus your years in education and, and as a father in general as well. Mike Golick Jr. Uh, sent out a couple of tweets, and they kind of resonated with me, and I thought it was an interesting discussion point here. He sent out this tweet yesterday uh, around noon, just before noon. The Ben Simmons mental health discussion is not something we're equipped for as a general sports-watching public. He then went on to say, we don't have the same amount of reps with it as we do in dealing with players' physical injuries. It's being an accepted part of discourse is so new, how could we? We lack any meaningful nuance, so we all just see the words pop up and back away slowly, which is the appropriate response to many important things we don't know enough about. Say less, learn more. There are plenty of other aspects of Ben Simmons' decisions and moves that we can spend time discussing. It's okay to let this one be. And that, of course, those tweets in response to what Ben Simmons was just talking about in that first clip we played, why I wanted to circle back, the mental health component of this, Jonesy. And I thought Mike Golick Jr. said it well when he's, you know, he mentioned we're not equipped. I think that, and I, I'm speaking for myself, I don't know if you're going to agree, you can obviously have your own say. I think sports, life, everyday life in general, most of us are not equipped for the mental health aspect of things because how do you react if somebody, especially these last two years where mental health is, has become a major issue for so many people, young and old, how do you react? And, and is, is one case, quote-unquote, worse than another? No, it's all like your problems aren't any necessarily worse than mine because it's how you feel. It's how it's impacting your life. It's, it's w the way you're trying to deal with it. So 
I guess for me as a as a broadcaster, but also just as a sports fan, I think we do have to start looking at at sports much like we look at everyday life. If this was your your spouse, your partner, your your parent, your child, how would you react if they were saying that they were kind of going through some tough times, or if they were struggling, or if they if they thought that their mental health was suffering? Would you be critical of them, or would you be supportive? And I think we get caught up in the wins and the losses and the money and maybe forget that, yeah, this guy might have some stuff going on. Or it might even be that even if he's, and I'm not suggesting this, I'm just painting the hypothetical, even if it was the comments from Doc or the jabs at times from Joel Embiid or the ruthless Philadelphia fans or whatever, even if it was that criticism from the media, Maybe it just got to a point where it beat the dude down so much that he couldn't deal with it. And I think that's where maybe now, even in what we do in sports talk radio, in sports coverage in general, maybe we do have to start looking at things through a bit of a different lens. But does that change the narrative or the conversation then of what we've done for so long? And does that say then that we've been doing it wrong for so long? Because should we be critical? Like at what point do you draw the line on criticism because, well, this guy can handle it, but this guy can't. Well, how do we know who can and can't handle it? We don't know these people personally, right? Like, I, I, I don't know if I'm speaking in too much generality here or if I'm talking around the issue too much, but I think the mental health component is real, and I don't know if it's something that we should ignore so thus we can still be critical and analytical of players, of people in general, or if it's, hey, let's not criticize, let's just talk, period, and let's not talk about the third-line center that's, that's struggling, that's not pulling his weight. Let's not talk about the superstar that hasn't scored in a while because, you know what, maybe he or she is going through something. I, I don't know how to look at it anymore. I really don't. Um, Eric, mental health is, is uh, it's one of those invisible injuries, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I got a bad back or... Um, you know, uh, my, uh, I, I, I don't know, I, 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 my neck hurts, you know, and you, they, do in, they do imaging and whatever, and it looks fine to us. No, but it hurts. It's one of those things we can't see, and we don't know the depth of how it impacts a person. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to leave athletes out of it. Just people, and it's something that we've all talked about over the last two years. It's not just the kind of cursory, hey, man, how you doing? If the person says, eh, boy, I'm, I'm fighting it, man, then your, your, your cursory, hey, man, how you doing, or what's up, what's up, what's up going on, what's going on, E, what's, what, that, if the response comes back with, hey, man, I'm struggling, or, Got to tell you, man, I'm fighting it right now. Mm -hmm. The next question needs to come. The next question needs to come. Oh, what's going on? You okay, man? Are you all right? Something you can tell me about? Can I help you? Like there, there needs, needs to be a next question instead of just a follow-up statement like, oh, hope you get through it and walk away. Like that's reaching out and and... You're right. It, it, uh, look, I am of the mindset in being around pro sports as much as I have been and we have been that I didn't, I didn't think it was that, that 
blatantly egregious a comment of Doc Rivers last year when he said, can you, I don't know, like I, we just lost. I don't know. I got to think about this. You know, like he could have given the, oh, yeah, you know, I, I have all this faith in Ben. And then if he gets traded or something happens, well, Doc, you said you had faith in him or what? Like now it, he was being honest and raw in a moment that was poignant at the end of the series. And at the end of the season, a team never comes back altogether again. There is some change that makes that dynamic different. And Doc played in a day when, well, for Pat Riley and Greg Popovich and Mike Fratello, when they called you out in the media, they probably, they probably lit into you in the locker room. So when you heard it in the media, it wasn't a big deal. I didn't think it was that bad. I thought Doc was honest. But he seems to be taking a lot of heat. And he's since come out and said, hey, listen, I've talked to Ben. I'm good with Ben. I want him back. Because Doc understands that from a different era when mental health wasn't what it was. Oh, he's got mental health problems. Oh, what, is he weak? No, no, he's not. Like there, are, as DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love showed us, there are issues that people deal with. So I, I think you have to take the Ben Simmons thing very seriously. Um, and, and it begs the question, what didn't happen in Philadelphia to help him to get him back on the court? That's the question I have. That being said, he's moved on to Brooklyn. Hopefully they have, he's in a better headspace, maybe better ready to accept treatment or counseling or whatever it is and get his game back in shape and start to feel good about himself and get out on the floor. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, I, you know, I, I guess, I guess Jonesy went, and again, completely, completely uh, untrained eye here. This is just a, a layman's look at things. If I was to, 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 to bring somebody that had somehow, some way, never seen an NBA game, never even really heard of basketball, didn't know a whole lot about the culture, didn't, uh, and I'm saying the culture of the world in period, didn't know anything about Ben Simmons, I blindfolded them, dropped him in and said, let me present this case to you. And there's probably like a hundred things I'm missing here Cause, and, and a hundred things I don't even know about Ben Simmons, his per- personal or professional life. But just on what we know, if I were to say, so this gentleman was a uh, high draft pick that came out of college with heavy expectations, uh, uh, you know, in terms of what the team and the organization expected of him. Uh, he got hammered in the media quite frequently and by the fans in his home city because he didn't have a jump shot, allegedly, and wasn't doing enough to help his team. They didn't uh, meet the expectations of being a, you know, a superstar-laden team a couple of years ago when they had, you know, Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris all on this team, and they failed to get past the second round, and he got criticized even more. And then in the midst of all this, he was uh, dating... A, uh, a a supermodel and uh, a viral star uh, whose family has a television show and puts everything in the world on television in front of like millions upon billions of people across the world and she's one of the most famous well-known people on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, etc. And then they broke up uh, and then this guy continued to play and continued to try to work on his game but they ultimately got bounced again early and like and that's just the stuff we know, right? That sounds yeah. like it could be probably yeah. weighing on somebody. Like, I would think most people, if they were getting hammered and criticized at their job every day, no matter how handsomely they're being paid, and then went through a very public breakup with a well-known celebrity, it's probably going to weigh on them a little bit, right? And I'm not looking to make excuses for Ben Simmons now, but it's trying to look at things through a different lens and go, that's just what we know. Like, there's stuff going on clearly that we know nothing about, nor should we, because it's personal, it's private. So I guess I'm just asking again, or theorizing to you, to the audience even, is how does that change 
how we cover everything, not just sports, news. Like, listen, we can still be critical. I don't think we should just say, oh, well, we can't say a word about anybody anymore. But, you know, listen, I'm not, I'm not a Doug Ford fan, but I'm sure he's going through a lot right now too. Like his decisions or not, I'm sure he's stressed all to hell, right? So even from a news lens, from, from entertainers and celebrities, what they're going through. Like, think about, you know, think about even, the, you know, when you see somebody that has passed away and it's very public news. What are those families going through? Like the, the son or the daughter or the spouse of, of, I don't know, Ivan Reitman who just died a couple of days ago. Like, what are they going through? You know? And are they going to be looked at with the same lens, with the same critical lens as athletes do because part of, and maybe it shouldn't have been, but it has been, part of sports has been call-in shows, columnists, uh, uh, editorials on television, radio, newspaper, uh, fans, like broadcasters, writers, like that's that's been part and part of it, right? Yeah, no, you're 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 bang on. You, um, it's just a, it's just a lot to consider. There's a lot to it. Um, you know, I, this is something we have Alvin on on Wednesdays. I'd like to ask Alvin about that and in an era when he played yeah. about mental health and how much how much guys hid that. How much guys had to, you know, in the locker room, go by the old credo, don't be soft, come on, suck it up. Like, like, <laughs> there's just so much going on. And I really think in the last couple of years in particular, all that has come to the forefront from people, you know, we, ha- we had the, the glimpse of it with people like DeRozan and, and Kevin Love coming out in the NBA. Um, and with everybody else going through what they went through over the last two years, coming out and saying, yeah, hey, it's, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I remember a guy who played for uh, the Bulls years ago, um, athletic guy, University of Alabama, Jason Caffey. And I remember in the mid-90s when he came out and talked about his anxiety disorder, it probably didn't get the traction that it should. But here's a guy that was dealing with with anxiety. I mean, we, we, see, we see the stories on, you know, some of the other, you know, disabilities or issues that people deal with. Like, I don't know if anybody's ever seen a story on he's known for not standing for the anthem, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Allah Colin Kaepernick, but Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, Chris Jackson, mm-hmm. and his Tourette syndrome, the stuff that people deal with in their everyday life. Um, I just I just don't think you can you can dismiss that or downplay that. So it's something, Eric, you know, something I'd really I'd really like to ask Alvin once we get going. Well, we can do that next. He joins us right after the break. Alvin Williams Wednesdays on Smith and Jones. Everything you need to know about all things Raptors. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And joining us on the line right now, our colleague, longtime Toronto Raptor, veteran NBAer, Alvin Williams. Time for Alvin Williams Wednesdays. Al, good to talk to you again. What's up, guys? How are you? All good, Al. All good, man. 
Jonesy, why don't you why don't you start? Because you wanted to go, uh, you want to yeah. stay on that path with Alvin. Yeah, Al, we've been talking about, and and you're in Philly, you're in the eye of the storm there. Uh, the the deal between the Nets and the uh, and the uh, and and the Sixers. And there's part of me, I want to talk the basketball side of things, Al, but I also want to talk about, Eric and I heard some clips, we were talking about Ben Simmons, and we got, we did a deep dive into mental health, that 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 invisible injury that, that you can't see, you know, when a guy says, oh, well, my back hurts, and they do all the tests and stuff, and they say, well, there's nothing there. He says, well, my back hurts. It still hurts. I mean, mental health is the same way. It's that invisible injury that you can't see that it's it, it could be debilitating but people can't see it they don't they can't feel that pain back in your day al in the locker room and we know the the attitude and the way it was did anybody did anybody dare come out and say anything about that because I, I i remember jason caffey of the bulls came out at one point and talked a little bit about his anxiety but was it just not accepted like you just you didn't talk about that in the locker room no, you didn't. You didn't talk about that in the locker room. You didn't talk about that in childhood. You didn't talk to, in certain environments. I know. I know the inner city and, you know, the black race. Like that was, that was something that was frowned upon. Like if you if you talked about something mental or if you expressed it in a way, you were looked to be as soft. You were looked to be, you know, something was wrong with you, and not everyone else, and get over it. You know. And it comes from, I guess, you, you have older parents and you have grandparents that that's witnessed a lot, you know, through the, through the culture and through the history of society where this is nothing what you're going through. Just imagine back when. So it was always that language, you know, amongst the black race. And, you know, for myself growing up, those are the things you, you couldn't express. You couldn't express, you know, sensitivity. You couldn't express any mental anguish, any depression, any anxiety. You had, to, you had to bottle it in, bottle it up, and move forward. So I think it, you know, it translates into that locker room as well. You couldn't, you couldn't express that. And then the people outside didn't care. You know, you're getting paid millions of dollars. You're on TV. You're this, you're this. What possibly could be wrong with them? So people truly, not, not that they, they didn't desire to have a concern about an athlete and their perspective or what's going on in life and what's going on with them personally. So you kept it. You kept it to yourself. Hmm. So, so Al, let, let me let me ask then you kind of a similar question I asked Jonesy five ten minutes ago, um, and I'm I certainly don't have the answers either. I'm just asking your opinion, your perspective as as a father, as a former athlete, as someone who's worked in management, as someone who's a current high school coach as well. What do you think is right, wrong, appropriate? Like, h- how do we handle things now? Because we don't know what anybody's really going through, and does that or should that change how critical you are or how you say things or how you approach things as a coach, as a teammate, as a father, as a friend, as a fan, as a broadcaster, because you don't know what someone's going through or what someone is dealing with when you're just hammering them or being critical and and maybe they maybe they got some serious issues going on. So does does that change? Should it change how we again even just as a as a fan on a radio station calling into a, a talk show segment or something like how do you how do you handle it now? What's what do you think? No, I mean I, it's hard to tell people how to handle it because everyone every, no one's the same. So but it, there is 
there's a piece where the empathy has to be there as a human being. Now, we can look at people as athletes. If they're not performing well, yeah, you're going to get criticized. You're going to get praised. You're going to do whatever. Whatever it is how that person is performing. But I think, once again, you have to separate it from the person and the athlete because at the end of the day, the, fun- the fundamental thing, they're, they're human beings. So they're going to have bad games. They're going to have bad moments. They're going to make mistakes. But there's a lot of things much deeper. That's why a lot of those roles that I played, whether it was management and, you know, being, you know, the the player development coach and stuff like that, where I really got a chance to talk to the players and understand what they were going through, you know, personally, and then get back in the locker room and see that what was being said and the thought process behind their play and if they were going to trade it. That was always a challenge for me. Because I always understood the player. I understood where they were coming from. I understood their background. And I just take it in that aspect, which I think it gives me more value, you know, for myself because I'm allowed to, I'm able to recognize and have that empathy. But, you know, people have a job to do. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about, you know, in people's eyes. So to your point, I listen to a lot and I think about myself. I remember my first, my second contract signing with Toronto Raptors. The most money I ever had, I signed a three-year deal for like six million bucks or five point whatever. Most money I had in my, I ever had in my life, but it was the most unhappiest I've been in my life. And I would express that to people saying, you know, I wasn't happy. I wasn't getting playing time. I was lacking confidence. And people were saying, those checks are still coming in, right? Don't worry about it. So that was something where you couldn't express it because you talk to the average person, man, you're getting paid. What are you complaining about once again? So I've witnessed it myself. I witnessed retirement, and I witnessed how I really felt I was in it. I was, basketball was my life. I had money. I had access. I had free time, family, but I was unhappy at a point where I've never been that. I've never been an unhappy person. But you couldn't talk to people about it because they didn't quite understand or didn't want to understand. So you have to approach it in a way where you have to put yourself in another person's shoes and truly understand what what that situation is. Well, Al, um, I mean, I, 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 I'm I'm dying to see Ben Simmons get back on the court personally, and I'm I'm really excited to look at this race. Not only did you know that you make a trade, they say not only do you, you know, when you you want to get rid of a guy you you trade him to another team outside your division hopefully outside your conference so you don't have to see him but twice a year philly and brooklyn there you can tiger woods could probably hit four shots and get from one city to the other and and they play each other four they play each other four times in a year so i'm i'm kind of looking forward to this when these two teams play especially if they meet in the playoffs and al with all we've just said in Philadelphia, of all places, where they, they cussed and booed my man Eric Smith walking off the bus into the tunnel. <laughs> on I'm Martin, too pretty, on I'm too Martin pretty Luther, for Philly. I'm too pretty for Philly. <laughs> on Martin Luther King Day, of all things. Can't we all just get along? Al, what are they going to do to Ben Simmons? When he, uh, you, you, Al, that's a story we'll have to tell at some point for our listeners. I'll give you the crib notes. Raptors were playing Philly, and, and it was Martin Luther King Day holiday, Monday afternoon, the kids off school. And for the people or our listeners that don't know, the, the, the stadiums in Philly are all in one area. Uh, Lincoln Financial at the time, Lincoln Financial, Citizens Bank Ballpark, the Spectrum, 
I don't know what it was called, First Union, uh, uh, First Wachovia, Union. whatever. The, it, we, we, we drove in there, and the bus parks, and you get off the bus, and you walk maybe 20 yards before you're underground and into the belly of the building. And it was Martin Luther King Day, and there were kids up on that. You know that railing, Al, that people hang out over yep. top? Yeah, where, yeah, right over top. And the kids... The kids, the kids were like, they were killing people. Mo Pete missed a game winner the <laughs> night before. And they're like, Mo Pete, you can't even make a layup. You ain't. You. And then Eric walked by and they looked at his beard and they called him fake butt something or other. You fake something or other? And he's like, he's looking around like, why am I getting abuse? That's Philly. That's Philly. E, what did they call you? That's Philly. Uh, I, I don't think we can repeat what they call me on the air. But, okay, but, okay. But yeah, talking about my that being my fake, said, fake, fake ass beard and 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 and, yep. and 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 I'll tell you what the other thing <laughs> the other thing you the, the one I'm not nitpicking here, Jonesy, but the one thing they were killing Mo on it wasn't that he missed a layup. Raptors played Dallas the day before, and there was like .8 seconds left in the game, and Nowitzki scored to beat the Raptors at the buzzer. And Mo's coming off the bus, and there you couldn't even guard Nowitzki for. A half a second, you stink, and then just like just roasted him. And then Willis Richardson, the old uh, the old uh, Raptor security guy, and folks, he's like he, Willis was former FBI, ripped like Jack, dude. He comes walking off the bus just after me, and they no sooner just like completely tore me to shreds just because I had a beard. And Willis comes off there like, man, what are you, Mike Tyson wannabe? And just going after just, they were killing just going they were killing after him. him. And we hadn't even, and, and, and Al, we hadn't even gotten in the arena yet. And so my, my question is, <laughs> then the real fans get at you when you get in the arena. Never mind the kids hanging out over the bus. That was the preliminary. That was a warm-up. Um, what's going to happen when Ben Simmons comes back to Philly, Al? That's, that's the serious question uh. in all this. No, it's, it's it's going to be bad. It's 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 going to, and I'm not going to I'm not going to let you guys off the hook. I'm not going to let you guys off the hook because it might just be just as bad when Vince Carter came back to Toronto. So Philadelphia is rough, but Vince Carter didn't have a walk in the park in his first time coming back to Toronto. So you know it's it's going to be it's 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 going to be it's going to be bad for Ben Simmons. It's it's going to be really bad for him. He needs to find a way, a secret location when he comes back and, and really figure things out. But, you know, it's just one of those things. That's the city. That's the city of Philadelphia. And, and Ben Simmons, is he put himself in that situation. We talked about mental health. We talked about a lot of things. But he mentioned some things in, in that press conference saying the organization. And that organization, you can question that organization on a lot of things that they've done. So, it's just one of those things where he wasn't, he didn't feel supported. But some of the things he brought on himself as well. But um, it's one of those things where they got past it. But it's not going to be a great, you know, visit for Ben Simmons. I think for the rest of his career going to Philadelphia. Hey Al, I, I, I mean, I don't even know if we're going to get to talking about the Raptors here, which is fine. We're just talking ball. Uh, speaking with Alvin Williams on Alvin Williams Wednesdays. Um, I, I, I don't want to be talking out of both sides of my mouth here. I, I said Philadelphia should make the trade. I, I said the Jones. I might have said it to you as well. I think the window 
I'm not sure that it's closing, but the window isn't going to stay open forever with Philadelphia. It's been open for a few years now, even going back to 2019 and, and nearly knocking off the Raptors. You had Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. You had a hell of a team there. Good depth on that team as well. And here we are three years later. The team is still good. Embiid's having an MVP season. You've still got Tobias Harris there. So you know what? You have a chance to go get James Harden. You do it, period. I, I'm, I fully back it. However, or, or but... I didn't anticipate that they were going to have to give up as much as they did along with Ben Simmons to get James Harden. That, that's where I was a little bit surprised, Al. Again, I don't know that that would make me walk away from the deal, but I, I was really impressed with what Brooklyn ultimately came away with in the package that included Ben Simmons. Yeah, I think Philly put themselves in a bad position early on by saying they were superstar for superstar and this and that, but... I think they they weren't honest or realistic with other teams not willing to give a lot or, you know, making a fair trade for Ben Simmons. I don't think that trust was there. I think they, they, they take for granted of his accolades. But I think in today's NBA, I feel like the other teams, were, they saw his deficiencies, they questioned his commitment, and just overall, like his reputation of um, – of being in that locker room, things like that. So other teams weren't willing to give what the Sixers initially were giving. And I think at the end of the day, you had to dump Ben Simmons somehow. So I asked people a lot. I said, would you trade uh, James Harden for Seth Curry, Drummond, and some picks? Oh, without a doubt. I said, that's all all the Sixers actually did because Ben Simmons was not going to play for the Philadelphia 76ers ever again. That was obvious. So you had to do something and – James Harden wanted to play in Philadelphia with Maury, and a lot of times those relationships, it overcomes the business sometimes. And I think Maury was so fixated on James Harden early on that no matter what, he was going to try to make that deal happen if it came to the table. So it, it was just one of those things where it was a tough situation for the Sixers to be in just because of where Ben Simmons was positioned. Hmm. Al, let's, uh, we do have a few minutes left. Let's jump jump over to the Raptors and a general question for me. Um, what's this last game like before the break for teams in certain situations? If you're a team that's playoff bound, if you're a team that's not playoff bound, and, and, and what does it say about a team the way they approach this game, the last one before the break? I mean, it's a tough time, and, and depending on, you know, the team mindset and, like you said, where you are as a team, the maturity of the team, the leadership of the team, and it's a tough time because a lot of people are there thinking about the all-star break. They're thinking about, you know, having some fun. They're thinking about getting to the family. So if you can just focus on that game, once again, the Raptors are a mature team. They've, um, they've been good and, and historically with these type of games and these type of situations. And that comes from the leadership. And I think that comes from their approach. So it's a tough game when you are one of those bad teams. I don't think that's the case with the Raptors. Um, I think, and I think they'll come out ready to play. But this is this is this is a critical stretch for the Raptors because once again, they've had a larger sample size of five players playing the bulk of the minutes, and the NBA, the teams are going to start adjusting. And those players have to play at a high. Unfortunately, those players, five players, have to play at a high level ninety percent of the time for the Raptors to be successful. And that's just the structure of the team right now. So. You want to make sure those players stay rested 
and stay mind in their minds ready so they can perform like that. We've seen a couple of days where they haven't been all on the same page as far as performance-wise. Effort's been there, but the performance is not there as it has been. And you can't accept, expect that because they've all been playing very, very well, shooting the ball well, assisting defensively, and that's going to tail off a bit. What's going to break the team back into that phase where they're um, holistically playing together and, and they're picking it up again? Al, appreciate the time as always, man. Uh, enjoy the all-star break, and we will look forward to chatting uh, next week, next Wednesday. All the best. I need to hear the other version of the of you walking into that arena. I want to hear that. Well, well, and 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 we we I have a bone to pick with you when we get back from all-star break about tampering and other shows, man. You got oh. your own segment on our show, Alvin Williams Wednesday. And we got other people entertaining you and like wooing you. I'm gonna hit them for tampering, man. And you're a part yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, we're not. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm set myself straight, and I'm I gotta get back. You know, I got the fame got to me a little bit. The fame got to me a little bit, and you know, when you're getting courted a little bit, then you know you, you get distracted. But I'm back focused. <laughs> yeah, Al, Al, All right, one, man. All right, all right, Al. See you guys. All right. There's Alvin Williams joining us every Wednesday, Alvin Williams Wednesdays. Uh, as the Raptors get set tonight for the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, we will discuss that and a whole lot more as we continue on Smith & Jones. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate, and review, and share as well. Back with more in a moment. Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sport. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Ailish. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review as well, Jonesy. I'm not going to mention these people's names because I'm, I'm honestly not even doing this critically because I think if we're, if we're having this conversation as we have for the last 15, 20 minutes, or at least it's been part of our conversation in the last 15, 20 minutes, um, I don't know if anybody hit you up. And again, I'm not calling these people out because it's not my place to do so on a topic like this. Um, but to me, this is part of the problem we were discussing. And, and, and the problem, and at least in my estimation, the problem is the unwillingness to either talk about it or unwillingness to listen to something on this topic, on this discussion. And I'm not sitting here claiming I have the answers. I'm, I don't think you were either. We were asking each other questions, having a conversation, not pontificating like we are Dr. Phil, like this person wrote in. And again, I'm not going to say their name because I'm not publicly calling them out. But I, I, again, I don't know if you got anything, but I just checked Twitter. Somebody wrote in. You guys, Dr. Phil and Oprah now, or just short on content? It's all philosophical BS that I can get on TV. So I'm going to go to NBA Today now and tune you guys out. Have a good show. No, somebody else wrote in. I started listening but tuned out after about 30 minutes. Wasn't interested in listening to mental health. People partially listen to sports and sports radio as an escape from talking about stuff like this, even if it's only for an hour or two. Have a good show. Like, to me, that's part of the problem, isn't it? Like, even the yeah. last one there, you're admitting or acknowledging that it's out there, but you just want an escape. So then we can't talk about it, or athletes can't talk about it, or guests that come on our show can't talk about it. And on top of that, too, and listen, 
You're free as a man, woman, boy, girl, whatever, whoever's listening to the show to do what you will and to listen as long as you will. I hope you listen a long time. I hope you download the podcast. But if you can't take 15, 20 minutes and if you can't realize or acknowledge, especially if you've listened to us regularly, that this is not a regular segment necessarily. It's not like we're on here every day on some soapbox waving the flag for mental health. But maybe we should be. Maybe we should be talking about it more. If you can't handle that as a listener for 15, 20, 30 minutes where we're merely having discussions and topics, because I would hope that there's somebody right now that's listening going, finally, these guys are discussing this stuff. Finally, they're speaking to something I feel is important, right? Like, I would hope there are people that are doing that as well. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's sports is, that is part of life. Sports is life. It's a, it's an escape. It's the toy department, as we say, but uh, you know, sometimes the people that run the toy department are sick, and it 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 closes down too. So <laughs> I, I, you know what, E, that's I I've not. Uh, I won't even go into this, but it, it, what I've seen in my life and some of the stuff of I as I that I've gone through and looking at injustice and inequality and 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 uh, single mindedness and 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 lack of open mindedness my whole life. Like I like I'm sorry that they feel that way, but. Uh, it's not something that we're just going to gloss over. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, and you know, somebody that could speak on this as well, and I don't want to, I don't want to hit him out of left field with something that he maybe wasn't prepared to talk about, thinking he's coming on and talk about the Timberwolves and Raptors. But he's been there as an athlete. He's now an executive. He's in basketball and player development, and I would assume the off the court, personal life, mental health, everything goes into basketball development and and the development of a young athlete. Um, Works for the, the, the Lynx as well, not just the Timberwolves, but former Toronto Raptor and vice president of basketball development for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Great to chat with John Thomas. John, how are you doing today? Eric, Paul, always a pleasure to be in your company. I miss you both. Uh, oh, man. Happy Big to kitchen. Spend my time. He got, he, he, he got the name, he got the name from, from Ray Chow because of the way I mean, if I was that size, I'd be a good eater, too. John, Big Kitchen Thomas. John, great. Uh, we're, all, we're, we're both very proud of your success, too, because, you know, basketball, my, 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 uh, my coach and my, my pops used to always say it should be a means to an end, not an end in itself. So at some point, the cheering stops and your knees don't work. What else are you going to do to contribute to society? So I, I'll say this. We're, we're both happy for your success especially in your hometown a place where you went to school too so good for you brother good for you yeah no question and it certainly hasn't come without its challenges i think you know from a former player we're always looking for that competitive edge and trying to find ourselves uh in different capacities that ultimately don't necessarily lend itself to on the court anymore so there is something to be said around your identity and that new formation of it because for so long you've been told as to what you what you are and it's it's sort of believing a new hype so no it, it's uh and i didn't get here alone i stand on the shoulders and, and hold hands of many so hey john you and i talked a couple of years ago and i can't believe it's been that long already uh jonesy was supposed to be part of that conversation but was running around doing a million things pregame as well but we had a lengthy chat and and uh for those that maybe didn't hear it or have forgotten or whatever before we talked current day uh timberwolves raptors the game tonight etc um 
how did you get on this path then? How did you get to, to where you are? You just talked about on the, on the shoulders of many, but, you know, like, I, I mean, I don't know if you want to recap the last 20 years, <laughs> but, but, I mean, how do you go from <laughs> former player to vice president with the Timberwolves now? Like, like how did you get to where you are, and, and, and what were some of, some of the stepping stones along the way? You know, the, the starting point was recognizing that I was in, in one arena where, let's call it, you know, at the top of the, uh, the food chain, so to speak, where you're now having to move into a very unfamiliar arena where you don't have all the equipment for battle, right? You walk into it naked, and that's within the corporate sector. So uh, there was a lot of fear and apprehension around what that next step would look like because, uh, you know, a lot of our lives are sort of scheduled for us, right? you got to be here at practice. you got to work out this time, so on and so forth. So you don't get the reps that you need in order to fail in the same way that you do on the basketball court. So... It, it was just coming to that place, and then a lot of the things that I did were rooted in just being hungry and curious and listening and showing up and then think, figuring out how do I get the knowledge that those that are aligned with my values, how do I get and learn from their experiences? So that was the first part. So digital mentors, right, people that never I never met, but online they were giving content that I could consume. And then from there I learned uh, real-life mentorship, and what that meant, so again, when I say I stand on the shoulders of many, there were so many people that poured into me after the fact because, one, like I said, I was, I was afraid, but more importantly, too, I was, I was curious and I was hungry. So it just, you know, moving from Lifetime Fitness where I was a national coordinator to really helping a lot of the basketball uh, clubs sort of get on their feet relative to holistic training and the things that I knew and what got me stronger, I started to understand that at the end of the day, we're all paid to solve problems. So it's just a new set of problems, a new set of language. And then you start to piece it together and no different than any sort of layup that moves from the awkward off your you know, off your fingertips to then progressing into dunking. It's the same thing relative to life. So uh, that gave me a lot of confidence moving forward. That's great, John. It's, it's great news. And in your role now, I'm sure... You see a lot of stuff, and uh, before we get to the teams themselves, John, have you, Eric and I were talking about it, have you ever dealt with athletes? I mean, you're in player development, and there's a, that's a wide-ranging uh, area of, of basketball, and I, I remember it had everything to do with, um, it ha- has everything to do with making sure uh, guys' families are set, if they're a foreign player, international player, making sure they get English lessons. There's so much in that. John, have you ever run into any of uh, an athlete with mental health challenges, either on the Lynx side or on on the Timberwolves side? Well, to be to be clear with my role, it's, it's the, the title speaks to basketball development. And, and when you look at the, let's call it two sides of the house, there's the business side and there's the basketball side. The, the side that you're referencing is on the basketball side. And honestly, I thought that in, in my transition, just because it's the space that I know really well, and it comes from a place of personal experience, it was a space that I actually was thinking that I was wanting to be involved in. But I can't tell you. Uh, so I'm on the business side. I oversee a lot of our youth efforts as well as alumni, uh, you know, bringing former players back into the market and sort of re- reestablishing nostalgia. But I do have conversations with and have intersected with both Wolves and Lynx players, and to answer your question, uh, yes. And and the reason being is that if you think about sort of the ascension of the game and what's happened uh, over the course of history, 
uh, no longer is the player uh, sort of this mystery. I mean, anytime they walk out of their room, uh, everyone has cameras that they can put on those players. And so there's this feeling of I can't be myself and I always have to be on and sometimes even in their own home. So when you can't be yourself and you've got this pressure to perform, imagine, you know, based upon the good work that you do uh, in media, imagine if, uh, you know, you had hundreds of thousands of people, one, telling you uh, how badly you, you reported on something or or how great it was. I mean, there's upsides and downsides to both. And so to, to be able to tune out that noise, uh, certainly when you think about, you know, as young kids, your, your brain isn't even fully developed by the time you're 25. So, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a challenge. And oftentimes just, there's so many people that want something from them because, uh, you know, there's this huge spotlight and, and people are clamoring uh, to, to get a little glimpse of what that spotlight looks like. So I just see it getting worse, honestly. You know, when you think about the collective bargaining agreement potentially putting players into a new stratosphere around earning potential, uh, you know, one, you, you won't be able to tell players anything, but when you think about the advent of what's happening within the youth game, uh, the, the ceiling continues to lower. So if we're not properly addressing the fact that as human beings, you know, and people often say, oh, you know, you're getting paid a lot of money. And I'm like, you don't understand that once you have that money in your bank account, the thing that you crave the most is connections with people. And I'll tell you that the two and a half years that I spent in Toronto was such a blessing for me because I was able to develop core relationships with the, you know, years later. Think about it. I mean, my, my last year as a Raptor was in 2000, and we're, we're talking literally 22 years later. And so that's a testament to the fact that we've actually been able to build some level of relationship. Well, I didn't have that when I was drafted by the Knicks because they traded me right away. And then they, then I got traded again at, at, at the end of the trading deadline, uh, you know, to the Celtics, from, from the Celtics to the Raptors. So proximity is what breeds those relationships. And you and I uh, won't ever be able to really tap into who we are as people if we don't get a chance to spend time with each other. So, there's a lot to unpack with, with sort of the question that you asked, but those are just some of the things at a high level that I think about. Speaking with John Thomas, Vice President of Basketball Operations for the Minnesota Timberwolves, Raptors and Timberwolves play tonight in Minnesota, 8 o'clock Eastern, the tip-off. You know, John, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying, and, and um, the topic that we're sort of dis- discussing on the show today just sort of came up organically, and, and we've continued the conversation. We just finished talking to Alvin Williams, and, and now we're chatting with you. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, and again, we can stay on this path or we can kind of bring it to current date to some extent too, but the, the two, the two uh, topics or the two ideas intersect when I bring up Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, if, again, if I look at it from a broad lens, just stepping back and not even discussing X's and O's, here's a guy that's been with the Timberwolves for a number of years now. He's experienced, unfortunately, a lot of lows. He's now experiencing a high. He had a taste of the high a couple of seasons ago when Jimmy Butler was in town. The team made the playoffs for one year. Then he went through the lows again. He's got the pressures of being the superstar, the go-to guy, the, the high pick, the expectations on his shoulders. But then, oh yeah, by the way, in his personal life, especially in the last 12 to 18 months, he has experienced, I've got to assume, absolute hell with family members that have passed away due to COVID and everything else. Like, what he's had to deal with mentally just in a personal life and then still have to go perform, let alone with what he's been through professionally, the highs and the lows, and yet stay focused, stay, stay ready, don't struggle, don't, don't talk back, 
deal with the criticism. That's a lot for a person to deal with. A lot. <laughs> Eric, you know, the, the, the thing that we fail to realize because we're removed from them is that these are human beings. And as we are, when we think about even in our own path, our own role, let's not even talk about, you know, where we were at as kids and as we developed into people and the life changes that we've all gone through, the things that we see. And then, again, like I said, just imagine that, to your point, you've got this giant microscope on every little thing that you do, and you're not allowed to, to be angry. You're not allowed to be expressive. You're not, in many ways, allowed to, to fail because you have moments like COVID that take family members away from you. And so he's gone through a lot. You know, and, and no one knows it better than he does. And I don't pretend to understand the pain that he's gone through. But, you know, when you think about just us being able to empathize with people's past, I, you know, we, we have become so accessible as people that oftentimes that access brings a lot of noise. And with that noise, we're ultimately swiping through every two to four seconds, whether or not we think somebody is saying something that's relevant or not. And we don't take time to stop. And just appreciate the fact that that young man was once a baby with hopes and dreams that all of us were, were, the, were in the same spot. And so we, we, try, we, we oftentimes cloud it with they're successful, they're popular, they've got all these different things. And we, we don't understand that there's a sacrifice that comes with becoming a professional basketball player that oftentimes, you know, certainly is to the detriment of your family, your friends. Uh, and then a complete loss of identity and, and not recognizing who you are because you put all your, no matter how hard you think you're, you're focusing on other things, you just, to, to be the best player that you can be, you got to put a lot of hours into it. So uh, I never forget that. It's a perspective that I share as, as a player. And I'm, in many ways, I'm thankful that I didn't play 15 years in the league because if that were the case, um, you know, certainly I didn't come from a place of, of having financial footing so, you know, what that could have done for me. So even my entry point into corporate space, starting all over, so to speak, uh, was a blessing that, that ultimately I want to give back to others through impacting. John, I'm, I'm looking at the direction of the Timberwolves, um, and it's been, it's been a tough one. But they are, you know, they, they, there's a winning season happening there, uh, new ownership. Things are, things are kind of turning the corner there. And like I said, that's been... That's been your city for a long time. You went to college there. I mean, you, you, you went to the NBA, and, and, and now you're back there. Um, it, it's got to be great to be with the organization and, and looking, looking at, having things pointing in the right direction right now, if, if, if I may say that. Yeah, you know, let me ask a question. Uh, how long have you and Eric been working together? Yeah. Do you want? Do you want me to answer as the old man? I'll answer Please. as a senior statesman. Uh, it has been, in some way, shape, or form, since nineteen. Uh, no, since two thousand. Maybe mm-hmm. ninety nine. Since ninety nine. I, I I honestly believe this, John. I haven't researched this. I think Eric and I might be the longest standing broadcast duo in Raptors history. I don't know, and I've been here the whole time. I don't know if there's any groups that have been longer than uh, twosome. It's been longer than Eric and I because we've always been tied together in some way. So, yeah, it's been a while, John. It's been a while, man. Yeah, and, I, and, and, and again, it's a testament to, one, the able to do your jobs at such a high level. But 
I think importantly, on, on the other side, is that you've developed a chemistry and a rhythm with each other. And again, going back to sort of where we're at as a society is that we want instant gratification right now. And I will tell you on the backside of our alumni program and looking at the fact that over the past, you know, 32 seasons, our organization, you know, when you think about average time in market as a player, in 32 seasons, it's 1.96 years. So what I love to see is the fact that we're not just making transactions. Uh, you know, we're, we're treating our people as people and we're giving them a chance. There's something to be said about acclimating to the city. There's, you know, there's something to be said with building relationships and finding yourself within the system. And that takes time. And, and again, people are so quick to judge without understanding how much time and effort it actually takes to become a, a professional basketball player and all the human elements that come with such a move. I got traded from the Knicks to the Celtics, and literally, like I said, you've got 72 hours to move into a new city. So when I came to Toronto, the beautiful part about my time there, it was certainly the longest tenure that I had in the league, which was two and a half years. But again, the fact that we've been able to build relationships. So our team, from an operational perspective, is actually giving guys time to blossom together. So you see the fruits of that labor come, come to fruition. Speaking with John Thomas, again, the Raptors getting set for a game against the Timberwolves tonight. John is the vice president of basketball development for the Minnesota Timberwolves. John, we were, we were talking, uh, you know, about, about Carl Anthony Towns. Let me, let, me, let me look a little bit deeper, dig a little bit deeper, but it's, I don't have to go too deep. Anthony Edwards, Jonesy was mentioning him just, uh, you know, off the top a couple of minutes at, at the beginning of the show today. How much of a difference has he made, not just on the floor, but off the floor, in the locker room, that type of personality. Again, I'm looking at it from a big lens. I don't know the Timberwolves, but I look at what I think I know about the personality of Carl Anthony Towns, let's say, and then the personality of an Anthony Edwards. Again, from the outside looking in, they seem like two different dudes, but that's kind of what I would want. I would want guys that 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 have different personalities, different styles, different different ways they deal with the media, with, with teammates, etc. And how much of an impact has he made, as I say again, both on and off the floor to help get this team to where they're at at this point? Yeah, 100%. I, I think when you think about the, the differences that make us up as people, I, I think learning to accept those differences is the key to success. Like, we're not going to change each other uh, unless we impact them through our actions and sometimes our words, and that way we could influence others. And so uh, sort of going even back to my, my last statement around cohesiveness and spending time together, you start to understand the nuances of the relationships and ultimately what that brings to, to the table, both inside the locker room and outside. And so, and it's not going to be perfect, right? right? When you hear about many of the stories around the, the pros that have graced the hardwood throughout our NBA history, and not all of them got along, and that's okay. But when it came time to, to fighting for each other, making sure you understand your role, and, and ultimately putting your best foot forward, you know, Cat does a good job of that, and Anthony Edwards is certainly you know, forming it into his own personality, and, and we all see it in shape of certainly on the court, off the court. Um, but the other part of it, too, I, I think oftentimes it gets, that gets lost in the shuffle is that how much these guys also contribute to their own community. And that's how you build a relationship with your, your fan base is people want to understand who you are. And if they're going to invest in you, and that's really what it is, 
if they're actually going to invest in you, then how are players investing in that community first? So whether it's by way of, you know, hospital visits to uh, food shelves, or, or is it just uh, on, a, on a whim showing up uh, in, in the community where maybe some of the local hangout spots are? Now, obviously, through COVID, it's been a bit of a challenge, I think, for, for everyone. But when you truly embrace the city and you embrace the place that you're playing in, uh, the, the place will embrace them, and that's what's, what we're seeing here in Minnesota. John, one more for me uh, before we before we let you go. Uh, last one for me. Um, how much are you looking forward to seeing uh, the matchup, Toronto, Minnesota, knowing that you're connected to both teams and and uh, there are some st- still some people that uh, connected with the team that that were there when you were there, um, namely our guy Ray Chow. But how how excited are you to be sitting down to kind of keep an eye on this matchup tonight? Oh, you mean Ray Death Death Hands Chow? <laughs> no, uh, Ray. For for all the listeners that are out here, Ray Chow is, is a, obviously a small small Asian guy who will bring all the pain that's necessary just within his hands. Uh, you know, I always I always circle this date again because I've got you know like to your point key relationships. Um, it's been it was is one of the fondest times because of the, the amount of time that I spent. Uh, within the city. So, you know, from that perspective, I'm always a, a Raptors fan. Uh, I'm always a fan of the city and the people that, that helped in a lot of ways to raise me uh, as I as I walk the streets of Queens Key. Uh, yeah, but um, I've, I've always looked forward to this matchup. And, you know, Rap- Raptors basketball has been something that, you know, since the inception where we moved from the Sky Dome to the ACC uh, has always had a special place in my heart. So, and then actually for, for the team, uh, you know, as a former Timberwolf and growing up here, uh, it, it holds the same. So I always like to see good basketball. I like to see great sportsmanship. I want to see tough competitive play, uh, you know, naturally because of our, our fans and they're showing up. I want to see that. But when they get fans back in, uh, back in your building too, I definitely want to make an excuse to come up and see all of you. Well, the uh, the fans are expected to be back, uh, what, as of a couple of days, Jonesy, but the Raptors, John, don't have a home game until March 1st, so it, the, the, the Maple Leafs uh, are going to have some fans in a couple of days, but the Raptors won't get a chance to experience it until March 1st, and the, the rumble or speculation out of the government and whatnot, it sounds like it will be 100% open as of March 1st, so uh, maybe things getting back to a little bit of normalcy here, at least from a sports perspective, uh, come, the, uh, come the flip from February to March, so maybe you'll get that chance. Uh, to get up here, and if not, we'll look forward to whenever that is and uh, having a chance to see you in person. Uh, thanks for joining us today, man. All the best. For sure. Appreciate it. Best of luck, but not too much, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> not tonight, right? Not tonight. Appreciate time. <laughs> All right, John. Great to chat, John. Great to chat. There is John Thomas, former Toronto Raptor, NBA veteran, and uh, current vice president of basketball development with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, great e, guy, great guy. Yeah. Yeah, E, can, can I jump in here and say, um, you know, just listening to John talk and watch him come to Toronto as a, you know, as a, a, a 22 or 23-year-old kid and look at what he's learned and how he's progressed in life. Those kinds of things make me feel great when I see – uh, guys succeed and and wanting to give back as they come into the game and I you know I look at 
I look at some of the guys we have on the team now, some of the guys that have already started to do that in this era. Uh, Fred Van Vliet. I look at what Kyle Lowry did when he was here. I look at what Vince Carter's doing. Like I look at like LeBron James. I look at all these things that these guys are doing. They get into the game. The game helps them. And they're like, you know what? I'm helping other people too. And and even on a smaller scale, like the fact that, you know, what you do with talking to classes and, and, and trying to give the teachers a break from online because you've got a son going through it. You know what his teacher is going through. And I, I don't know how many black history talks and class visits and stuff I've done over the years. Like those things are important. Those things are important. You just never know who you're going to inspire or who will who will draw from that and to see John Thomas doing what he's doing now is that is that is great man I just have a really good feeling now after talking to him uh, I would echo those sentiments, Jonesy. And uh, folks, you can always hit us up on social media. We've mentioned it a few times, but maybe we don't mention it enough. Uh, on Twitter, Paul, double underscore Jones. Eric, double underscore Smith. Again, two underscores for both of us because we both have plain, plain names. So Paul, double underscore Jones. Eric, double underscore Smith. Um, had a couple more tweets come in. And you can also text us uh, on the Fan 590 text line, uh, 590 and, um, you know, again, just it, it, it happened. I happened to bring a topic up, and we've spent, uh, you know, off and on parts of the last now, you know, 45 minutes or so discussing this with our various guests as well, portions of our conversations about mental health. Uh, text came in, and I'm not going to necessarily read the names because I don't know if people wanted their names attached or not, but one text came in. Kudos to your discussion on mental health. Another one. Guys, the issue is you guys aren't qualified to speak on mental health as you're not professionals people come to the station for raptors no one is saying that mental health is not important and i listen i get that and i appreciate whomever that is sharing that text but i feel my opinion at least jonesy is sometimes those are the better conversations to have not that i don't want to hear from the experts but if this is stuff that's impacting and affecting everyday life for you for me for athletes for anybody I want the layman's perspective, too. That's, I don't know, that's kind of the way I look at it, is that I don't want to hear just from the professionals. I want to have these open... How many times, Jones, I don't know if you said that you used to say this to your kids or students or, or even to this day to, to anybody. You know how many times I use the analogy of people talk like, oh, man, it must be tough to do a radio show, or, or how do you prepare, or like, what, what? I'm like, we're doing one right now. All we got to do is throw a couple of microphones on, right? We're just having a conversation. Yeah. That's what radio, to me... And I've been doing it a long time, as of you. To me, the best radio, the best talk radio, is when you forget that there's a microphone and you're just having a conversation. No matter the topic, just two people, three people, ten, whatever it is, one person, just talking, being honest, being open, being natural, being vulnerable. And, and, and take any conversation you would have at a dinner party, house party. Put a couple of microphones in front, boom, it's a podcast. It's a radio show. That, to me, are the best shows, the best conversations when it's happening organically and it's coming just with, with your natural um, thoughts and views and instincts as opposed to just let's get the next expert guest on to give us their expert opinion. Part of the reason why, I don't know if this is a fair analogy, when I've had uh, guests on over the years, Jonesy, and shows with you or anybody else that are coming on to talk about their book, this is like an old Larry King thing. I don't want to read the book. I'll read it after I've had you on. But if I read the book ahead of time, I'm now asking insider questions because I read the book. 
The audience hasn't read the book yet. We're trying to promote your book. We're trying to get your audience to go buy your book. If I'm asking insider-type questions based on what I read in Chapter 7 or Chapter 15, that's because I know the story. I know the ending. I know what's in it. I don't want to know. I want to be the, like the listener that's, that's, that's asking those questions, that's thinking maybe what they're thinking as opposed to trying to set up the expert with expert-type questions. That make sense? Yeah, it does. It totally does. And, and uh, I'm with you. We, uh, we, we come about it organically. Our producer, Mark Boffo, does a great job. Uh, or any of the guys that we have producing the show and giving us a framework, but you just never know where the conversation is going to go. And to the listener that called in and said we're not qualified, we, n- we never said we were qualified. Uh, and a lot of times, if you listen carefully, you listen carefully, all of our ramblings come out with questions at the end because yep. we don't know. And, and I'll never forget when I was working on my master's degree, my supervisor you know he's he's god rest his soul he's gone but he would say listen i'm going to tell you something you're going to dive into this topic in sports psychology and i'm going to tell you you're going to get to the point where the more you know the more you don't know and even if we had an expert on in mental health they have their questions too so you know for the people that think we're just you know uh you know waxing poetic about mental health we're not we're talking about it and oftentimes we're asking questions and looking for answers because that's, you know, that's what is eventually going to help people in the end. Two more quickly to mention, then we're going to take a, a break. We've got Ricky Romero coming up in a couple of moments. Uh, this text came in, Jonesy. As an addict that has relapsed over the holidays, uh, I've been really focusing on what's going on with my mental health. Your discussion was right on point. Thank you. And then one other one that came in. Uh, I never write in, but after hearing you say that people have complained about the mental health talk, I enjoyed it because there were a few things that made me think, and that's not a bad thing. So, again, you can always hit us up, Paul, double underscore Jones, Eric, double underscore Smith, on the text line at 590-590. And, of course, another time to remind you to make sure you subscribe to, download Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review.